0: You're listening to a message delivered at First Family Church from the series, While We Wait, exhortations from 2 Thessalonians. For more information and messages, visit our website at firstfamily.church. It's in 2 Thessalonians 3. I'll get there in a little bit. We're in this passage for all of October, all right? Today, we're looking at one single verse in this passage, no doubt one of my favorite weeks is when I can preach from one verse. So you can really just kind of dive in and you can just unpack it and get every bit of you know, truth out of it. We're going to do that today in a single verse, but I want to provide you a window to see what this verse looks like. I'll give you three or four here. I'll close in a few minutes with another window. And between those two windows, we'll just kind of unpack the truth of this verse, all right? What are some windows, Todd? to this verse that we're going to see, this singular verse that, that you're going to unpack for us. Well, there's three of them to start with. One goes back to 1956. Here's a picture of Steve Saint. You can't see the whole picture. He's got his arm around Minkaya in Quito. He's an, uh, an, um, an Alka Indian from Ecuador. Steve, the man to your right, uh, excuse me, the man to his right, his father was killed by this man. So Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, and three other missionaries landed their plane and were going to witness. They had been in touch a few times. They're thinking, they're, they're thinking the gospel is going to land here eventually. But instead, one day, this man and others killed those five missionaries. Steve Saint, which you see picture there, the American was five years old when this happened. He's now close friends with that man who killed his father. Only the gospel could do that. Window number two. This will make sense as we unpack the verse. Here's window number two. This is a, a screenshot from the actual radar, I guess you may call it communication in 2001 when I think it's Jim Bowers and his wife's name was Veronica. They have a little, they have a little child. Veronica and her child lost their life when their missionary plane was shot down. It was an accident it was shot down. The Peruvian government, along with some intel from the CIA, thought they were smuggling drugs. And so in Peru, they shot the plane down. Jim survived. His wife and child lost their life in missionary service. I'll use the word accidentally, but the tragedy still remains, doesn't it? That work in Peru is thriving and still moving. ABWE has a really good, solid gospel work in Peru, even though that occurred. Steve Saint had his arm around that man. There's a thriving church in Ecuador, of which he's a part, that Ecuadorian uh, Alca Indian there. So, So it's interesting. Two situations when there was great tragedy, and yet the gospel continues to move forward. God's work is honored and the people, somehow they're protected spiritually even though apparently there's been great danger physically. And when you see 1956, 2001, you think, well, man, those are tragic. Our hearts break for those. But the next story is one that hits us right at home just last May when one of our own murdered in Jamaica. We told more of a story last week. I mean, there's no easy way to there's no easy way to answer this call. We told you about it when it occurred. And, and yet, if you, if you were to go to Jamaica today, you'd find a new Bible training center. You'd find that Sarah is there this week with one of our members and a team from Atlanta. They're ministering to the very people on the very place where her husband was murdered. That's hard. Only the gospel could do that. Amen. So, so, Todd, what are, these are windows we're looking through. What are we trying to see? What's the, what's, the, what's the picture we're looking at through this window of people who've been killed, and yet God's work continuing to move forward? And actually, these people, even though they were physically killed, you're saying they're spiritually protected? That's exactly what I'm saying. We're seeing that because God is faithful to his people, you could put this in a single sentence like this, that even when our enemies attack us, the Lord is faithful to spiritually protect his people and sovereignly accomplish his purpose. Will you you say that with me? Let's say it together. Even when our enemies attack us, the Lord is always faithful to spiritually protect his people and sovereignly accomplish his purpose. This is the thrust behind a singular verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It's verse 3. You're there, aren't you? Here's how Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would would teach us these truths. Let's read verse 3 together. It's on the screen behind me. It's in your Bible or on your Bible. Can we read from the ESV together this singular verse which teaches us what's going on, even when physically it looks like some difficult things are happening. Together. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Now, the beginning word of that verse is a contrasting word. What is the word? Say it with me. It's but. So, let's read all five verses to kind of get a bigger contextual picture of what's he saying about the Lord. Because if he has the word but there, he must be saying... The Lord is faithful in contrast to something else, right? Let's read the whole context. These are the five verses we're spending all of October looking at. Today's verse 3. Let's read all five. I'll read them to you. Follow along. Paul says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored what's happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, say with me, but, there it is, So when wicked and evil men who don't have faith do wicked and evil things and it appears that they're not being very faithful, guess who is faithful? The Lord is faithful, church. And he will establish you and guard you. Against the evil one. Notice it doesn't say here that he'll guard us against the evil men who are doing the wicked and evil things that are very unfaithful. I'll explain as I teach this. He says in verse 4 And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. So may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Here in the middle of these five verses is this singular proclamation of the Lord's faithfulness in contrast to man's unfaithfulness and wickedness and evil. What's going on, Todd? What's happening? I want to take a closer look at this verse from three angles. I won't take long in doing it, but I want you to see the character of the Lord involved here, the conduct that this character produces And then the contrast that Paul brings out regarding this conduct. Three C's kind of on the heels of these three windows. Let's uh, uh, just quickly examine these three C's, can we? First of all, the character of the Lord. It says he is what? Say it with me. You know, Paul doesn't spend a lot of time here explaining this. He doesn't go into great lengths. He just makes this statement. The Lord is faithful. There's no article here. So he's not trying to explain an act that God does. He's actually simply stating an essence or a part of God's character. The Lord is something. And so grammatically, textually, linguistically, at face value even, we would say he's describing God's character. Something that always is whenever he does anything. So when God is loving, he is what? Faithfully loving. When God is judging, he is what? Faithfully judging. When God is chastening or disciplining, when, when God is doing anything, does he ever do it unfaithfully? The answer is resounding no, because God is what? Faithful. It's essential. It's a core aspect of who. He is. It's his character. And Paul just succinctly states, the Lord is faithful. Dependable would be a good synonym. Um, Promise keeping. Trustworthy. Now, in this auditorium, all of you would shake your head, you'd smile and say, Amen, preacher Todd. You wouldn't deny this. It's core doctrine. It's theological uh, groundwork for us. The Lord is faithful. In fact, right now, you're not even denying this or even having trouble believing it. It's when you get the call with the bad news. It's when you realize a consequence for something that you may have done. It's when things, in essence, don't go the way we think they should go that we begin to think, well, I thought God said. (laughs) You ever done that? You you have. So how's this going to end, God? How's this going to work out? I thought you were faithful, and I just want to say to you that God's faithfulness is such that it does not operate in a microwave, but instead in an oven. We live in a microwave. Could somebody there say amen on that one, right? I mean, I may even noticed now, one minute's too long. I'm like, can we find a quicker setting for this? You know, I, I gotta get going. God does not operate with microwaves. God <coughs> operates, I'm just using this term metaphorically, in an oven. So what you often look at and say, man, what's he cooking up in my life? What's baking in this heated moment? You may not know for hours, and it may be very difficult, and you, your thoughts may lean towards wanting to blame God, as James says, and wanting to accuse God of even wrongdoing. But see, God's not operating in a microwave. He's not living by a 30-minute sitcom. God is operating over the whole trajectory of your life, and I can assure you and promise you that over the trajectory of your life, in every second, every hour, and every decade, God will be faithful to use every single thing to conform you to the image of his Son. He promises to do that. He will keep his word. He's dependable. The Lord is what? Faithful. And so because he is this, he is faithful, two things he does... He establishes us, and of course here in the text, in the immediate historical context, it's the Thessalonians. He says, he'll establish you and he'll guard you, just quickly. It means to strengthen. The word establish there has a sense of laying a foundation, of doing something underneath what's seen that would bring resolve, that would bring uh, firmness. So God does something in us that enables our feet to stand strong and not be moved. This is not speaking of cosmetic surgery, okay? This is an internal um, type of, of, of surgery. This is something God's doing inside of us over the long haul in which He strengthens us. It means He fixes us. I don't mean fix like you gotta need to repair. I mean like He establishes, He fixes, He firmly puts your feet somewhere. It's used several times in the New Testament. Uh, It says of this word that, that God will do this to us. It says that Jesus does this for us. It even says sometimes that the apostles were sent by Paul, and even he was sent at times to churches to do this for the church, to strengthen them. So there's something that God does, yes, but he does it in a variety of ways. What God is after is, whether it's through his leaders, whether it's through his word, through His Son, through His Spirit. What God is after is an inner type of strength uh, uh, in which it, it just affects your feet and you're unmovable. You're firm, you're established. Does that make sense? It's strength, an inner resolve. And then it says that He'll not only do this to us, He will guard us. In other words, He will protect us. It's mainly used of, of kind of a defense mechanism, a security ring from from Military attacks. So here he's using this as a metaphor to say that we're protected, we're guarded from the attacks of the evil one. So because God is faithful, dependable and trustworthy, promise-keeping God, everything he does can be counted on. Two things he'll do. He'll establish us. He'll provide inner strength. And then he'll provide outer security. But notice the last phrase. Against the what? Say it with me. Evil one. So you will have the strength to stand against the enemy, the real enemy, Satan. And God's going to set up a security ring around you where he can't get your soul. Say, Todd, why did you say that? Because it, it's obvious he doesn't mean the body. Because did, and I'm going to say this in the, in the way that we see it humanly, so work with me, okay? Okay. I'm having to balance things this morning, two things that I think sometimes are hard to kind of explain together. Did a wicked man eventually get Paul's body in one sense? Yes. In God's timing, and not a moment too soon or too late, Nero decapitated Paul, captured him, imprisoned him, and killed him. So if you say, well, that, 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 God protected him, okay. God's timing is always right, he was in control, but let's just be frank, Nero got Paul and killed him. So what does he mean here? What he means is that the evil one, which is the source of the evil men, in verse 2, the evil one will not ultimately win. Evil men who are sourced by the evil one may get your body. They may bring physical harm to you. They may destroy you. Uh, physically financially they may come after your physical existence but guess what they can never get your soul why because god is faithful and he's guarding it he's keeping it and you tell me what you'd want at the end would you want your body or your soul now in god's economy we get both eventually amen But if you had to take your pick, I'll give them the body first. If they want to kill it, if they want to destroy it, if they want to burn the stake, if they want to take my bank account, if they want to double my taxes and take the house, if they want to ruin anything physically, let them have it. Because the part that lives forever, immediately with God, is our soul. And that's what God keeps and guards. And that's where you need his strength to stand firm when the wicked and evil men come after you. Because when they come after you, they actually may get your body. Now watch this. They got Nate Saint's body temporarily, didn't they? They got Randy's body temporarily, but they got it. They killed him. They got Veronica Bauer's body and that little child. Those three windows, they got it. But guess what? Even though Satan came after them and said, Man, I'm going to get rid of you. Satan couldn't touch their soul. And to be frank with you, Satan couldn't touch the work of God because there's a thriving church among the Alca Indians led by the very people who killed Nate Saint. Man. There's a BTC center church planting effort in Jamaica going strong this week with people from this church. There's a strong work gospel center in Peru. The very place where they accidentally shot the plane down. Guys, are you catching this? They may take everything you have physically, but they can't get to the one thing that matters most spiritually because God is establishing it and guarding it. From whom? The evil one. And that brings brings me to the last contrast. We see God's character and His resulting conduct But I've got to show you the contrast that I think really makes, to me at least, makes this verse come alive. I'm going to show it to you in our lab. Can I do that? It's just a bunch of pronouns, actually. And I'm hoping this will pull up. We'll see if it does. They're going to switch me over to the lab, and I'm hoping this is still connected. If not, I'll walk you through it. It doesn't look like it is, is it, Josh? Okay, well, look at your pronouns in your Bible. If it comes up, you can see it. In your Bible, do you see the pronoun we in verse 2? Paul is praying that he and his team would be delivered from wicked and evil men. That's his prayer. Do you see that? That we can be delivered from evil men. But then in verse 3, he actually says something about them. He says that God is faithful to establish you. So contrast the idea of the we in verse 2 with the you in verse 3. Do you see that? God will establish you. He'll guard you. And then contrast the words evil one with the idea of evil men. Do you see that? So here's what's happening. If I had to jump into Paul's mind, here's what I think he's thinking, which shows the, the, the change in pronouns. I think Paul's thinking this. Hey, guys, pray for us. We want deliverance from wicked and evil men. But then he says, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish and guard, say it with me, you. So, so why, why wouldn't Paul say, hey, pray for us, God delivers and he doesn't, you know what, God will still guard us. He didn't say that. He actually says, pray that we'll get deliverance, but if, here's what I think he's in his mind. He's thinking, but if that doesn't happen, if it is not in God's sovereign will for us to be delivered from wicked men. In other words, if they do, in their attacks, get our bodies, don't you worry because God will still establish you. He will guard you because he's faithful. He's not like the unfaithful men who got us on the outside physically. Don't worry, guys. What he's doing with you will still go on. It will still last. You will be fine. His word will still be honored. His work will still progress. And your soul will be kept safe even if they get our physical bodies. That's what's happening here. If you don't see the contrast, you'll miss the real highlight of God's faithfulness and his his conduct. What Paul is saying is, hey, even, he's not just touting God's faithfulness without this backdrop. That You know what? There are actual times when unfaithful men do horrific and wicked things to God's people. But that's precisely when God is faithful. And so even in those very times, don't you worry. If God takes the messenger out... Don't worry. His message still remains. He's faithful. His word will go on. And the work will continue. And you will be safe eternally. You see, I, I'm, I'm confident. It's right and proper and biblical to pray for physical deliverance. Verse 2, right? I, I'm, I wouldn't back away from that at all. But that is still... At best, an expectation. I would never promise any of you physical safety. I wouldn't do that. I can't guarantee that. But I can promise you this. Eternal safety. Are you with me? So, so should we pray for physical deliverance? By all means. Paul said, hey, pray that wicked men don't get us. But if they do, God is faithful. And you'll be okay. Okay. His word will go on, and you will be guarded, even though it seems like at the moment they got us. That has to be how the ambiance, the nuance of this text. And so God's faithfulness is so exalted and lifted up here. It's so beautiful because it's it's backdropped against the entire unfaithful, wicked acts of men. This helps us make sense of things like 1956, the murder of five missionaries. 2001, the shooting down of a plane over Peru and the, ni- and the 2016 murder of Randy Hensel. It helps us. It doesn't solve every problem. It doesn't make our grief disappear. It doesn't make every tear suddenly go away. But it helps us. Why? Because in these precise moments, oh, so I get it now. Even when the messenger is hurt and the body is killed and they physically took everything I thought was valuable, what you're saying is that They can't touch the part of me that matters most, right? Because God is guarding that. He's got you. Man, that's why He's so faithful. A couple of scriptures that I think would highlight this well for you one from the old, one from the new. Here's Psalm 121. I want to read the whole chapter to you, I won't. But in this, it does say the Lord, you know, He'll keep you. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. He won't let your foot stumble. But if you look at the history of the Israelites, guess what? Their feet did stumble. Can we just be honest? Like 70 years in captivity, by God's sovereign design, it seemed at times that the sun did strike them. 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They're, as Paul said, their bodies scattered across the desert. Like, hey, so what do you mean in Psalm 121, dude? Like, I'm seeing a lot of striking. I'm seeing a lot of things happening that don't seem like you know, that, that God's really keeping you from evil. What God's saying is he's keeping that part of you, your soul, from ultimate evil. In other words, the evil one will not get you. Even though at times it feels like he's coming after your body, guess what? He can't get your soul. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Yeah, they may get your body. Do you know that? Still under God's providential care and sovereign design, I believe, but as he lets evil at times by his allowance work its way and have full sway at times, would they do things that from a human angle seem like, man, what's up? Yeah, they may get your body. They may take your house. They may destroy you. They may take a limb. They may. But they'll never get your life. They'll never take your soul because God is keeping you. And he'll keep your going out and he'll keep your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Why would God do it from the beginning, in the middle, and for eternity? Because God is what? Faithful. This is what he does. He takes care of his kids. Here's Paul's example 2 Timothy 4. Several verses here that would actually be an illustration of what he wrote to the Thessalonian believers. He says, on my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Then he prays it, not be charged against them. But the Lord, he says, stood by me and strengthened me. Here's the same word as used in 2 Thessalonians. You could use the word established here. The Lord fixed me. The Lord fastened me. So that through me, the message, watch this, might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear. So even though there were beatings and shipwrecks and starving moments, did God accomplish his message even when it meant that Paul gave his life for the gospel? Yes, because God is faithful to see that his words speed ahead and be honored. He says here, I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. Okay, now wait a second, Paul. That sounds like Psalm 121. The Lord did not really rescue you from every evil day, did he? Because Nero got his hands on you and killed you. So, how can you say that, Paul? Because Paul's not thinking in terms of our physical body. He's thinking of his soul being brought safely into the heavenly kingdom. And when Christ comes back, that'll be merged, of course, with his body from the earth. He'll get a glorified body, yes. So in the end, Satan loses on all accounts. He doesn't get your body or your soul for those who are believers, amen? But temporarily, in the, in the immediate, it seems like, man, Satan got us. No, he may have gotten something physical, but God will bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. He does not ever get your soul. So he says, to God be glory forever and ever. Does that make sense, guys? So this verse, this singular verse, Verse that begins with this contrasting word is simply highlighting the faithfulness of God to his people especially when it looks like unfaithful things are happening to them Paul is proclaiming don't worry God is not like those people he's actually faithful to keep and guard the part of you that no one can get that he's got safely held your soul And so we come back to this simple take-home truth. That even when our enemies attack us, the Lord is always faithful to, watch this, spiritually protect his people. Amen? And sovereignly accomplish his purpose. How about one more time? Will you read it with me? Even when our enemies attack us, the Lord is always faithful to spiritually protect his people. And sovereignly accomplished his purpose. You may have taken some questions in. I'll see you in a moment. If not, you may have some. Maybe you want to take those in. I need to give you four ways to kind of put this into some practice. I'm trying to work harder at application. I got that input from the surveys we took a few weeks ago. It's been helpful to me. So I'm really trying to dig in deeper and, and hear your, your feedback to me. Here's some uh, strong Todd's tips. Can we do that for a few minutes? I won't spend long here, but I want to tell you some. Some things this means for us. Either some realizations, some actions, some observations, whatever. First of all, I think you should keep your physical consequences in their proper place. And I want to be cautious here. I don't want to tread lightly on danger, on issues where someone has been hurt. I'm not trying to do that at all. So please, hear your pastor um, compassionately. But I, I think it's interesting in our culture how much emphasis we place upon our bodies when in reality, what's more important is our soul and the souls of others. And sometimes we we need to realize that it actually may be dangerous to go somewhere for the sake of the gospel. And it would be foolish to tell someone, oh, don't worry, God will protect you. No, actually, you may go and you may lose your life there. You may, but you won't lose your soul And I think we should make, start flipping these to tell people, yeah, if you sign up for this, it's very dangerous. We're going to pray you come back, but there is a small chance that you, you may not come back from this mission, this journey. I don't know. There are parts of the world that are very dangerous that need the gospel. Do we just forget those? Well, I think the answer is to keep physical consequences in the proper place, which is secondary to spiritual consequences. Here's what Jesus said Matthew 2:28. 28. Let this verse weigh on you. I'm not going to explain it. I just think it's self explanatory. But here's what Jesus said Do not fear him who can kill the body, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. What was Jesus saying? Don't fear what the devil can do to your physical body, fear God. who has the last word about your eternal destiny and your physical. Does that make sense? Wow. So I just think this is an application we need to kind of embrace and think through. What does 2 Thessalonians 3 about God's faithfulness and the Lord's promise to guard our souls against the evil one, what does that mean for our mission endeavors? It means that we, yes, cognizant of the danger, we still at times will need to embrace it. Because the worst thing they can do to you is not kill you. That's not the worst thing they can do to you. Think this over, okay? Process it. It's an application from this verse. Second one. Pray for and support the workers and the work. See, I think in Paul's mind, he's asking for deliverance from the wicked men. But I think in verse 3, he's saying, by the way, if that doesn't happen, don't worry. The work that God is doing in you will continue. And sometimes in our circles, we support the workers, and that's good. Right and proper, we should. But what if that worker is shot down in a plane, killed on the field, martyred in a river? The work continues. And I think our investment, our prayer, should be for the workers, but it shouldn't end there. It should be for the workers and the work. Does that make sense? So let's have a larger view, which is one of the reasons that I, I really am, um, I, I like the way we support the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board. We require all of our partners to have an agency because they are the ones who are making sure the work continues even if the worker, for some reason, can't. Does that make sense? Sometimes, and I'll just be really transparent here with you, sometimes we, we get so tied up into the workers That if something's not right with a worker, we we get all emotionally out of shape. I would just encourage you to think, in addition to the worker, think about the work. And God's promised to continue that and keep that going. All right? Just an application here to think about. Both matter. I don't think we should have just a, uh, a myopic view on one, but both matter. And I think this verse shows us that's what we should at least have a view to, the workers and the work. Third application here, if you just process, think about. Find long-term motivation in God's character, not man's conduct or response. And this is one where, I'll put my hand up first, like, man, that's a hard one. Am I the only guy thinking that? Like, wow, that's hard to do. This is a a boat that's hard to row. Because I'm like you. When you're witnessing to someone over a period of time, when you're in a relationship with them, when you're taking months and years to, to just be a normal witness, like many of you are, you're in a relationship with other businessmen and women, with other moms and dads, other coaches, and people who have their kids on, their, on that team. You're just being normal. It's awesome. You're just being a Christian in our society. But what about when they think you're kind of, when they do think you're loony? Like, man, you, you believe there's only one way? Hey, have you been alive very long? It's the 21st century, dude. Like, what's up with you, you know? They think your exclusivism is like it's really odd compared to the pluralism that exists today. They look at the way you raise your children. Your beliefs about marriage, the way you stand on God's word, like, man, you're just kind of cuckoo. Like, well, what year is this, right? That can be hurtful. Sometimes our hearts break because, like, man, why won't they believe? So I'm not doubting that occurs. What I'm saying is don't let that make you quit. Find your long-term motivation in God's character that he will accomplish his purpose. All right? Is that easy? No, I'll be the first to admit to you. This is a difficult one. This is the one bullet I'm like, man, I get been out of shape sometimes when you know, I don't get my way in general, okay? <laughs> like you. Much less on spiritual matters. When someone's rejecting the Lord and you've been loving them for a long time and you feel like they're close and then find out they're not, it's hard. But let's not let our motivation long term, our whole being, be kind of rooted in what they're going to say to us or about us. Let's find our motivation in God's character so that we don't quit. Lastly, realize that, that you have a part to play, a role, and so accept this role, and then play it well, realizing you're a part of something, you're not the star of something. <laughs> I hope you hear that okay. And I say that to myself, I say it to you. Jesus Christ is the star of the show. We'll just say that. Amen. He's the one front and center, loud and clear, taking the middle of the stage. We all have a role to play in making sure his gospel gets to nations and neighbors. Yes. But, but watch this. But if your role in that means that you are somewhat diminished, don't be upset. The goal is not that you... Get glory. The goal is that God get glory. Amen? Now, we can say that when our role is diminished. What if your role meant that you die? Well, wait, hey, Todd, don't say things that, that... I'm just asking the question. Because Nate Saint, Randy Hensel, and Veronica Bowers, from what we see, at least from an earthly level, in God's sovereign plan, their role for His work to continue was... That they had a dying role. Can you embrace that? I don't think you have an answer today. I don't have an answer. I think it speaks to the heart of this application. That we have a role to play. Some of us uh, we mobilize large groups of people. Accept that role. Some of us are actual individual goers. And you may have to embrace going to a very dangerous place. Some of us are senders and more, mob, uh, more uh, intercessors, and some of us can give financially. Well, however, your role in which you can emphasize certain things, do that well and do it heartily. If you're a goer, look where the greatest need is and, and say, you know, what? I'm going to go there. If you're a prayer, man, develop concrete lists and set aside times and fast to actually intercede for the important task of God's word speeding ahead. If you're a giver, give substantially. Make allowances and sacrifices. And by the way, we should all be giving, we should all be praying, yes, but there are those who are kind of gifted, I think supernaturally empowered at times to do this in exceptional, supernatural ways. When God gifts you that way, make it astounding, not for your glory, but because that part matters, do it so God is glorified. Accept your role, whatever it is, and then play that part. Realize that you're not the star and neither am I. Amen? The goal is that Jesus Christ be be glorified, that His Word make progress. And if in the course of that, bad things happen to our physical body or experience, don't worry. Watch this. I know those are hard to say, but don't worry because God is not like those men or women who did that to your physical body or experience. He's faithful and He still has your soul. And he's still sending forth his word. Any questions you have, let's see if there's any that came in. No questions. Let me give you one last window and I'll be done. I was thinking about this passage. and You know, most of it's going to kind of be played out in regards to missions. I realize that. It's missions month. But this passage played out in the life of one of our families too. In kind of a non-mission way in one sense. A lot of you know Aaron Crabb. Alice, they come to 8.30. She's probably serving somewhere now at 10.30. Aaron's actually in Jamaica this week, serving there with that team. They left this morning. But Aaron grew up in a home that for a number of years, evil men and faithless situations caused havoc. Uh, Aaron's dad, at some point when he was young, just decided to leave their family. Alcohol was one of the reasons, and he became a, just an uncontrollable kind of drunk man. Turned his back on God. Aaron, his brother, watched this play out when they were little. He remembers his mom just resolving, I believe by the Holy Spirit's power, inner strength to not lose those boys. Aaron shared this at his dad's funeral last February, so that's kind of why I'm in the know on this. And so, man, with great resolution... With a fixed type of face. She raised two boys. who loved Jesus. One of those in our church. Aaron Crabb. He says even that. When he watched the difference in his mom and dad. He remembers saying. Even as a young kid. Why would I go the way of my dad? That looks like pain and problems. I'm going to do what my mom says. And he says for as long as I can remember. I just followed the Lord. With a lot of passion. Isn't God's grace amazing? Well years later. God brought Aaron's dad back to himself. There was reconciling in relationships. And guess what? There, there wasn't amending of some things. There's still a divorce in their past. There's still two boys who grew up without a dad to a large degree. But at his dad's funeral, guess what they could say confidently? Even in the middle of many wicked and evil things in which God excuse me, in which Satan appeared to kind of get at us physically. He did bring some dysfunction to our home. He did hurt my dad's body. He did hurt me and my brother's emotions at times. There were things that we could not hardly get through, didn't understand. Yeah, did Satan and evil men and wicked people do that? Yes, but in the end, guess what? Those very people and the very source of those people never got my dad's soul My soul, my brothers, and my mom's. Why? Because God is faithful. So you can take this passage, you can put it in the midst of global missions, yes, and you can take this passage and put it right in the middle of your very home in Ankeny, Iowa, that no matter what your enemies do to your body, your physical experience, your finances, your home, your car, they're not touching the part of you that matters most, your soul, because God is what? Faithful. Glory to God's name. Let's pray.